Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. Standing up today. Yes. You sit down often, but you've been sitting in a car all day. You're literally just getting back to Columbia from Auburn, Alabama. You went and witnessed South Carolina lose by 13 points to the Auburn Tigers, 80-67. to Or Jermaine Cousinard missed three late was the difference in Carolina covering and not as the Gamecocks went into the game. Plus free throws, 11. too. Late. I know. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of them. Six of them out of only nine. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. We'll talk bit. about that. It, it was an interesting game for a lot of reasons. On the one hand... You and I just sat here and said, yeah, not a whole lot to say. Auburn's just better than Carolina. They were supposed to win by 11. They won by 13. It's on the road. It's a top 16 team, a top 20 net team. And Carolina was missing their second best player, their third best player, depending on where you put Keyshawn Bryant. They were missing Trey Hannibal in their backcourt, and they could have used a little more juice from their guards at some point during the game last night. But on the other hand, there's a lot to say about this game. So first of all, give me your perspective. Was this the first time you had been to Auburn for a basketball game? Yes, um, they're thoroughly impressed. Um, one of the best basketball atmospheres I've been around. Really? It's it's perfect for college basketball. Um, seats 10,000 right under. And, I mean, the noise sits on top of you. The facility is really beautiful. Um, they marketed the Final Four run almost perfectly. It's, I mean, what every small college basketball arena should be. Hmm. And, I mean, I left pretty impressed. It reminded me a lot of Florida, which is another really fun venue to cover a game. Yeah, well, that's a glowing review. Uh, yes. How was the crowd? I mean, for, it was a weird game for Auburn, too. but Yeah, crowd was pretty good. Um, it's easy to fill a 9,000 seat, so I'd say it was probably 80 to 90% full. And the students were there, packed student section. Uh, yeah, I left thoroughly impressed with what I saw from the Auburn facilities. It was a sloppy start to the game. Um, from your perspective, Obviously, you get a better view of it. You know the uh, like armchair psychologist angle yeah. for for South Carolina and for Auburn. Auburn missed nine of their first ten shots, if I remember correctly. South Carolina had seven turnovers in the first ten minutes. Did the teams look tight? Did the teams look nervous? You know, Carolina having a chance to get out ahead of things, and Auburn having a lot to prove, having lost their last two games. What was the vibe? I guess like in the pregame and then that early start. The vibe pregame. I thought both teams looked confident. South Carolina seemed to be in the zone and kind of loose the way. I mean, they always kind of look loose and focused at the same time. It's shoot around. Every team's going to look that way. But I thought South Carolina started that game probably about as well as they could, um, which made you a little nervous given the fact they were only up like seven at the under you know, 12 or whatever it was. But they they started well. The defense was playing well. Auburn was missing threes, which is what you needed to have happen. Then... Devin Cambridge happened and it was all you know all downhill from there and they showed some fight I'll give them credit they were you know running to loose balls which I didn't expect I mean Mike Kosar was like wrestling balls away from Austin Wiley and you had all of this everything that could have happened good happened they were hitting shots early 
they were shooting 50% at one point, and Auburn was, I think, one for six on their first three, you know, first six threes. So you had about as good of a start as you could have anticipated against a top 25 team on the road. And then as is problems with South Carolina this year, inconsistency hit, and they just couldn't sustain it. Let's start with Devin Cambridge. That's kind of the big storyline coming out of this game. 26 points for a guy that was averaging, I think, three points a game three, yeah. coming in. He had hit seven threes in the last 17 games. So for the entire season, he hit seven threes. And last night, he hits six of his nine, including uh, as part of his 10 of 14 overall shooting. I was watching with my roommates here in Columbia. I didn't get to go. Oh. And, you know, they were... I guess sort of espousing the uh, the old chicken curse. It's like, yeah, you know, that this would happen. The, the, That's the so guy South that, Carolina. It is so like South the Grayson Carolina. Lambert setting it, NCAA record right. vibes to it. Yeah, it's what was that like to watch? Just a guy that come out of nowhere and absolutely heat check. It's no matter who you and we don't root for people. No matter who you have a stake in or who you're covering, it's still cool to watch a dude just pop off for 26 points. Uh, like Wes Myers against Florida a couple years back, just watching him. Th- you know, whatever he jacked up was going in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was fun to watch. Auburn, they went 10 of 26, which is kind of on par for what they do, right around 35%. And, you know, it always seemed to happen at, like, the exact right time. Like, they'd miss eight in a row, and then they'd hit, like, boom, 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 and you hit four in a row. So it was fun to watch Devin Cambridge do that. That Auburn offense is as NBA and offense as I've seen in college basketball in a very long time. Uh, but yeah, it was it, it was fun to watch just because they're that good. The timing is, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a really important part of last night because it felt like Carolina was getting absolutely buried in threes. And then, like you said, just 10 of 27, 37%. That's better than they've shot the last couple games, but it's not an outrageous shooting night. And in fact, South Carolina shot better from the floor than Auburn did. They were 47.5% for the game. Auburn was 45.5%, um, which is one of those things you look at in the box score and say, hey, you know, maybe look like it would have been closer than 13 points. We can get into a more extensive breakdown of South Carolina's like generally positive night statistically, but the timing is so important. You mentioned South Carolina, despite the early turnovers, including two on the first possession, which is like kind of hard to do yeah. <laughs> to turn it over twice in the same possession. It's very South Carolina this year where they <laughs> then they go on like a 12-2 run. Right. right. That. So yeah, seven turnovers in the first 10 minutes, which means only five afterwards, which is nice. Uh, but Auburn was missing some shots. Carolina was playing some good defense. You mentioned, you know, Mike Coates are getting some like uncharacteristically big physical rebounds. Justin Manaya got a couple. Carolina was playing pretty well and you felt not great because you felt like they ha- should have had a little bit more of a lead. But then South Carolina goes on a dry spell, which they do, and you chronicled it on GamecockCentral.com and you're right up after the game. It was a f- either four or five minute scoreless stretch in the first half, and then it was basically the same thing at one point in the second half. And it was a 14 to one run for Auburn in the first half and a 14 to nothing run for South Carolina in the second half. But the difference is when South Carolina was missing those shots, Auburn was able to capitalize. And when Auburn was missing shots, Carolina was not able to capitalize. And as much as it's a cliche to say that basketball is a game of runs, it feels especially true for South Carolina. And I feel like that was the story of the game for Carolina last night. Yeah, I mean, I hate that cliche to no end, but when you look at a game like that, South Carolina went on a run to go up seven, then Auburn goes on a bigger run to go up 10, and then South Carolina go. I mean, it's one of those things where there weren't a whole lot of times last night where teams were just trading buckets, where you saw that against Florida, you saw that against Tennessee and Kentucky, and, and um, where they play last Texas A&M. You saw that. And this was kind of like reminiscent of some of South Carolina's woes in the non-con, where they had stretches where you rush things and the ball just doesn't go in the basket. And it's a problem. 
And it comes with, I don't think it's a coincidence that when South Carolina was playing well, Jair Bolden was playing, was shooting well. AJ Lawson was shooting well. And Jermaine Kuznar was playing well at the point. I don't think that's a coincidence. And when those guys dried up, it was nothing was going in at that point because then Auburn can collapse in the paint and make Mike Coatsar beat him. And Mike Coatsar is not going to single-handedly beat a team unless it's Mississippi State. So that that was the problem is that you just – guard play was so inconsistent last night as it has been for stretches this season. Uh, and that's kind of why they lost. I think that's why this is such an interesting game because I think we can all agree that the guard play wasn't what it needed to be. South Carolina shooting only nine free throws has a lot to do with South Carolina not having guys that can attack downhill. You know that Mike Coatsar is not going to be someone you just dump it off to in the post like Kerry Blackshear that's going to shoot you know eight or ten free throws because he's just going to hammer the post. So you're always having to get that from your backcourt and from your wings. You're obviously down Keyshawn Bryant, which is a huge part of it, but A.J. Lawson, who... I don't know. Played a little bit better. He had. I guess, he was efficient at least. He, he had his. I don't know. His best game of SEC play so far. Yeah, I mean, just eleven points, four rebounds, and assists, a steal, a block. Um, Shot still 50% had three turnovers. But yeah, four of eight, one of three on three, made both of his free throws, but it's still not attacking downhill. Um, yeah. you know, it's a lot Kus- of spot up shooting with him. Right, Kusnard, I guess, attacks the most of anybody. Um, but Bolden is also not attacking downhill. And then when you don't have Bryant, I mean, that really just leaves Kusnard to drive sometimes, and he's trying to do. Kind of a whole lot of everything. Kusnar continues to at least score well. He was efficient last night. He was 16 points on 7 of 14 shooting. So I, I guess that's, it was like 26 points on, I don't remember what the uh, shooting like breakdown. 9 of 22 against Kentucky or Something like that. Yeah. And then last game was like 17 points on 7 of 15. And this game, 16 points on 7 of 14. So getting slightly more efficient. Which yeah, I guess he's shooting better. He's kind of figuring out where he is, where right. what his spots are on the court in his game. But you really, I think, felt... The absence of Keyshawn Bryant because again, you get eleven of twenty-two shooting from AJ Lawson and Jermaine Cousinard for twenty-seven points. It's like, oh, that's pretty good, but it's not that effective in the context of the game because of how they were getting it. And uh, I guess just to go back to, to not necessarily attacking, not having the the free throws, Carolina misses that element of attacking the rim, and that's two straight games where they have fewer than ten free throw attempts. And it's not because the refs are calling the game poorly or because they hate South Carolina; they're just not putting them in a position to get fouled yeah shocker that when you take contested jump shots and then spot up threes you don't get fouls called I mean it's just that's the nature of the business and this is the first time under Frank Martin this team's gone back-to-back games with less than 10 free throws last time it yeah, shouldn't happen ever no so it's not a surprise that that's the first no. over the last 10 years it's only happened twice so that shows you how kind of an anomaly this is and it's because Jair Bolton's game is not get downhill and attack the rim that's not his game A.J. Lawson's game should be that. Jermaine Kusnard's game is absolutely that, and you saw it. He got to the line five times, only made one, which is a problem. But Who's the best free-throw shooter on the team going into SEC play? I th- I was thinking about it today. I think he's just better in the motion of the offense. Like When he's catch-and-shoot threes, he's not as good as it's when it's just in the flow of like catch, pull, like dribble, beat a guy off a, coming off a screen, pull up. He knocks those downs at a pretty consistent rate, but mm-hmm. if he's got a spot up, He's not as good, and obviously when you're shooting free throws, more than likely your feet are set. But they just don't have a guy like that. Mike Coaster is not a guy that's going to draw a lot of fouls. And Wilden Zavek, who actually played pretty damn well. Mm -hmm. Especially early on. Drew a charge, got a couple of big rebounds. Yeah, and I just don't – he's not as good of a free throw shooter to where you can say you feel comfortable you know, dumping into the low post with him and saying just draw as much contact as possible and see if you can finish. So 
Will he get there? Probably, but he's just not there as a freshman 17 games into his career. Part of the reason that I think Carolina fans shouldn't be too concerned, you know, obviously the fact that they're 2-3, and three, which is what they needed to be through five games, you were supposed to lose this game, you know, by BPI, by the spread, by Kempom, whatever. This is a good team. There's no shame in losing this game. Um, but part of the other reason that you feel okay is I think you're still getting good enough performances. Like I said, you know, Kusinard still scored pretty well. Mike Kotsar, his scoring average has certainly dipped. He's only averaging four points a game in the last three games, zero, six, and six, but still had a pretty good game. Six points, eight rebounds, five assists, added a block. He and Wilden Zavet combined to play really good defense on Austin Wiley, who finished the game with just eight and six. Yeah, below his averages is what you want from him. It's it's kind of exactly, like the game plan kind of worked. Like if you're Carolina going into this game, you know you're not going to have Keyshawn Bryant. It's like, all right, do what you can. Take a lot of outside shots. Don't let Austin Wiley absolutely crush you. He shot only one of four from the field, only played 20 minutes. You kind of did what you needed to. Okoro only scored eight points. Perifor only scored four points. Like, the game plan going into the game was probably like, okay, you know, do what we can to take these guys out, and if somebody like Devin Cambridge happens to go off for 26, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. That's exactly what happened. And I'm not saying that the difference in Carolina winning or losing this game was Keyshawn Bryant, but they did everything they were supposed to. Auburn got an outstanding shooting night from someone that they weren't necessarily expecting to get an outstanding shooting night from, and you were missing maybe your most important playmaker. I think AJ still, he's certainly not playing like the best player, but he is the player with the highest upside. Mike Kotsar has been your most consistent player. Right now, Jermaine Kusnard's your best scorer, but I think in terms of unlocking this offense, what Keyshawn Bryant offers off the bounce, attacking the rim, is is important to this offense in a way that's that's really hard to notice except when he's not there. Yeah, and I think that Auburn, if you take 1 through 14 in the SEC, Auburn's probably the most athletic team, and if not, they're like second or third. And you take your best athlete off the floor when Keyshawn Bryant's not out there. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you like to have your best athlete on the floor playing against one of the most athletic teams in the SEC? Of course you would. Especially when you're going to play a lot of zones, so it's about yeah. you know getting arms in passing lanes and things like that. And Auburn yeah. found way too many open shooters in the corner. Yeah, and do I think that South Carolina wins with Keyshawn in there? That's a lot of revisionist history, but I don't think Auburn goes on a 14 to nothing run or a 14 to two run or a 19 to four run or whatever the hell they went on because you have such a good defender in Keyshawn Bryant, you have such a good athlete on the floor in Keyshawn Bryant. You probably play a little bit more efficiently offensively. You probably limit some of their driving kick opportunities because he is so good about closeouts. He's probably their best closeout defender. Him and Manaya are just so good at closing out on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. With a long arm, yeah. helps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you got like a seven-foot wingspan, it feels like. So they desperately missed him. And when you're having to play, even though you got good minutes from Levesque and some up-and-down minutes from McCreary, those guys are still freshmen that have only been, this is their first test of SEC play. So I think Bryant, I don't think it would have been a 23-point lead for Auburn in the second half. I don't think it would have been a 13-point game. I think it makes it a little bit closer than what the score necessarily indicates if he's out there. Right, and you say yeah, maybe Bryant scores 13 points. That makes up the deficit, but 13 points is not exactly a reflection because Auburn, like you said, they were up by 23. They had really pulled away. That was more like a 15- to 20-point game uh, than a 13-point game. But in terms of just, again, looking at, at signs of encouragement, I mentioned, you know, Kotsar, his scoring has dipped a little bit, but continues to play well all around. Kusnard looks like he, he could actually be a 15-point-per-game kind of scorer, which, you know, after Kentucky, it's like, well, he's not going to score 26 a game. Is How much is this going to regress? It looks like he's pretty comfortable 
taking 10, 12, 14, 15 shots a game and scoring 16. If he can make you know free throws, he could actually be a 20-point-per-game kind of score. I feel like Lawson was, was playing a little bit better. Manaya is rounding into form. Only 2 of 7 from 3, but 6 of 12 overall from the field. Continues to rebound well. Uh, 7 rebounds, added 3 assists, and a steal in that game as well. And we mentioned just how important it is when you have your glue guy going like that. You add Bryant back into that. What you know, Obviously, we, we can do revisions history all day long, but it was already a good statistical performance. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Carolina outshot Auburn from the field 47.5%. They got an average three-point shooting performance, six of twenty-one. You're not going to shoot sixteen to thirty every game. No, that's, that's that's not that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, six to, six of twenty-one is probably about what you're going to get. You, you're probably you'd like that to be closer to six of eighteen or you know seven of twenty-one or whatever. Um, the free throw shooting we talked about a little bit. That's that's just, just not get to the change. rim. Just yeah, get, just get to the rim, give yourself more chances. But Carolina's not all of a sudden going to be a great free throw shooting team. They yeah. might have a great night. Which, by the way, I, I mentioned I was watching the game with my roommates and in. To go back to the quote-unquote chicken curse, it was like I, he told me he was like I really wish I didn't know that Auburn was such a bad free throw shooting team because they hit 18 of 21 of them last night, and it's like of, of course, yeah, that would happen. The Grayson Lambert 96 percent completion. Percentage. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, Carolina had 16 assists on 29 made baskets, which is a good percentage for them. Uh, still one fewer assist than Auburn. They had seven steals, three block shots. What was impressive to me is they only had two shots blocked. Now part of that is tied in with the free throws, not right. necessarily attacking the rim uh, very much, but Auburn is the best team in the SEC at blocking shots. 12 turnovers, about average. That's fine. Like That's a, that's a very that's decent That's what you're going to get from South Carolina. Right. You come and, to expect and that. In, in like anywhere you look, that's not a bad number. And what was really great is the last 30 minutes, so you only had five turnovers in 30 minutes, which is tremendous because it was seven in the first uh, 10, as I mentioned. But by percentages, like a pretty decent night, and it makes it look like you know it was probably closer to a 13-point game or a 10-point game or a 5-point game. But this was the first time, I said this on my local show, so if y'all listen to that today, sorry for sounding repetitive. This was the first time this season, and especially when you contrast it with what happened against Kentucky and what happened against A&M, where South Carolina won those games because of their depth. You know, they get into foul trouble, and Kentucky gets into foul trouble, and Carolina just feels a little bit more comfortable going a little deeper in its bench, and that was enough to buoy South Carolina long enough that they could get back into the game. Obviously, we talked about that ad nauseum last week. In the Texas A&M game, you're down three important players. Moss coming off his best game, Hannibal giving you energy off the bench, and Brian, after just three minutes of the game, you still have enough depth that you can cobble together a 14-point road win in the SEC. And we talked about how that was always the upside of this team is the depth. When you're missing Bryant, when you're missing Hannibal, and when Frank gives you just one minute, for whatever reason, yeah, this for the first time this year felt like Carolina was shorthanded. They just didn't have enough guys. No, and they have athletes on the floor, but when some of your best athletes are kind of slumping and not playing as well as they need to, or freshmen, it's hard to compete with an Auburn team that has senior athletes that are really, I mean, really long, really athletic, and you can only ask a Justin Manaya who played, I think, tremendously. You can only ask. Jermaine Kusnard and and Mike Coates are to do so much. And when Auburn's playing as well as they are, and Devin Cambridge is going up for 26, there ain't a whole lot, lot you can do other than hold on and kind of hope they cool off at some point. This was a good loss. Yeah, it's not a bad loss. No. no, Because I, it's Auburn and because of all these things that we're mentioning. And it sounds like, I don't know if people are going to hear this and think that we're making excuses, but it's like, in spite of these things, Carolina was able to to hang around until Auburn just absolutely 
turned into blew a team the that doors came, off. came off a of Final Four last year. Right, right, exactly. And and it wasn't even because Auburn just overpowered South Carolina. They were just like, okay, well, we're going to do this, and you can't stop us. Because it was coming from, I mean, they, they did, and Carolina needed to be a lot better defensively. But I just go back to Devin Cambridge not really being someone that was in the game plan. South Carolina wasn't like, got a key on Devin Cambridge. You know, you can't let him beat you. Now, Frank Martin said after the game that he was in their scouting report, despite the fact that he was a 20% three-point shooter. They counted on him being someone that was capable. But like I said earlier, by and large, Carolina was like, okay, don't let Austin Wiley kill you on the glass and give him a million extra possessions. You know, Auburn won the offensive rebounding battle, but just by one, nine to eight was that margin. You know what Okoro can do? And he's like 27 the game before or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's been playing really well in SEC yeah. play. And, and you take him, you know, mostly out of the game. Just three of seven shooting. He missed his one three-point attempt. Just eight points for him. He did have seven assists, which is you know uh, still a, a good, efficient night for him there in terms of his assist to turnover ratio, just the one turnover. But that's kind of what you needed to go in there and do and just hope that these other guys didn't kill you. And that's exactly what happened. So not only is Carolina still in a position where 11 or 12 wins in conference is not out of reach, but a quality loss, a competitive loss, and one in which I really think Keyshawn Bryant's presence would have made a difference. Maybe not a win or loss. But that's the difference in, in covering the spread, or not, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, and I think that if I told you on Tuesday Devin Cambridge was going to be Auburn's leading scorer, you sign up for that. You, know, you, yeah. you sign up for the fact that this dude that's averaging three points a game is going to yeah. go out there and lead Auburn in scoring. Yeah. Hell cool. yeah, sign Carolina's going to win 50-10. to 10. Yeah, like, I mean, sign you up for that. And it's just one of those things you get hot at the right time, and the guy knocks down six three-pointers. So... This is a loss. I think if even if looking at the schedule in whenever it came out in September or August or September, what it was, all the way in until Tuesday night, I think fans chalked this up as a loss because Auburn is one of the more talented teams in the SEC. They've been one of the top three or four teams in the SEC since Pearl took over, really. Coming off of Final Four, you kind of expected this to be a loss. And should you be happy that this team lost but no but they went on the road in the sec and played a top 25 team that's talented that was coming off a two-game losing streak your odds in that one aren't great to begin with now south carolina matched up with them well at times but at the end of the day auburn's a better team um top to bottom i just think they're more talented let's do a little stock up stock down oh ho, ho, new game yeah new yeah. game so aj lawson was my reverse jinx for this game and he didn't play great but he continues to, I think, work himself back incrementally, marginally, with each passing game. He hit a couple shots at the end of the Texas A&M game. He said after the game, or maybe it was during media availability on Monday, I can't remember, but basically he said, I needed that. I needed to see some of those shots go in. They did. He still wasn't as involved as you need to see from AJ. He still only took eight shots. That number on a per-game basis probably needs to be closer to 12 to 15 with similar efficiency because he needed to be going to the hoop more, but he made both of his free throws. It looks like his shot's falling a little more than it was. It seems like he's working back into form, and Carolina absolutely needs that for the stretch run here in the SEC. Well, not quite in the stretch run because you and I broke it up into 5, 5, and 8. So he's got these next five games against four very beatable opponents and one opponent that looks more beatable with each passing week because Arkansas uh, lost their third SEC game last night as well. Oof. We, yeah, they're very soft. Yeah, uh, top twenty-five. Yeah, definitely. But it was a hot start for them. They were like one of the hottest teams coming into conference play, and um, three and three since the start of conference play. But he's basically got these five games to to work out whatever else because Carolina's going to need him 
for those last eight games. They got to play Georgia twice. They got to play Mississippi State twice. They have to play LSU. A lot of tough games, a lot of winnable games. Are you buying that AJ Lawson's stock is rising or has he just kind of plateaued these last couple games? I think he's rising, um, especially compared to where he was in December and beginning of January. Uh, I, I, I don't hate what he did against Auburn. Does he need to take more shots? Yes. Does he need to be more involved in the offense? Yes. Does he need to foul less and turn the ball over less? Yes. In terms of efficiency, outside of the turnovers, four for eight, and you make 33% of your threes, one of three. And all your free throws. And all your free throws. And hit the glass. Yeah, sign you up for that. That's that's what you need from A.J. Lawson. You just extrapolate that into 12 shots, 15 shots. Then you're starting to talk about what A.J. Lawson needs to be. You you add on another three there, maybe, and another two to talk about just adding and extrapolating. That's five more points. That's 16 points, four rebounds, take away one turnover. That's kind of what you need from him. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem is he's just not getting used enough. And that's on his. That's on him mm-hmm. because he's just passing up opportunities. He's because of the slump. There, other players are stepping up, so they don't need him as much. I'm reading off percent of possessions used. The guys that had more than him, Manaya, Kusnard, obviously, uh, Jair Bolden, T.J. Moss, and Jalen McCreary all had more. McCreary had a higher usage rate than. For when he was in the game, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, McCreary only played 14 minutes in the game, four points. He had an 18. Four rebounds, two assists. Yeah, uh, 18% of possessions were either went through him or ended with him when he was on the floor, 16 for AJ. Yeah. So, man, you need to use him more. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's in part because AJ's not playing up to snuff at times. And that's also in part because you're getting really good minutes from Kusnard. You're getting really good minutes from Manaya. But you need AJ to play in that same range that. Manaya does. Manaya finished at eighteen percent. Jared Bolden at twenty six, which is not what you want. I think no, especially of, shooting four or twelve. Yeah, um, you need most of that to go back to AJ. So if AJ's doing maybe twenty one and Jair's doing sixteen or eighteen or whatever, that's kind of more what you need. But yeah, you just need more from AJ Lawson. So also, but I'll say stock up to get back to your original okay. question. It's very right, long winded. No, that's good. And and I guess to to get back to the shot distribution, Bolden four of twelve, he, he did play twenty one minutes, which was the most off the bench. Uh, I, I guess one thing that's interesting and, and worth mentioning about uh, AJ's game and AJ's, I feel like recent gradual uptick, one and, and probably a fair thing to look at with a Frank Martin team, just the way that he uses players, the way that he sets them, the way that he plays them. If someone plays a lot, there's only so badly he can be playing because if he's yeah. really that bad doing everything else, even if he's not shooting great, if he's that bad defending, that bad energy, Frank's just not going to play him. And he's done it with AJ. He's done it with AJ multiple times this year. AJ played not only a team high, but a game high, 37 minutes. So Frank, I think also, I think that says to me that Frank believes in, even if it's very gradual, the uh, the continued upward trajectory of AJ. But to get back to Bolden, 21 minutes, which is the most off the bench, 4 of 12, I think probably a comfortable range for him is more like 6 or 7 shots. So you take away 6 shots there, you give four of them to AJ, and two of them to Keyshawn, Manaya, six of 12. You, you don't necessarily want Manaya to shoot less, I guess, because he's, he's playing so well. He's you playing want well him, and yeah. he's scoring efficient, efficiently, but like maybe long-term he's a, instead of a 10 to 12, he's like an 8 to 10 kind of guy, so that's another couple shots. You give one to AJ, another one to Keyshawn. You know, same thing with Cousinard. You know, 14's fine. If he can 
continue to score about 16 points a game, make more free throws, but just do it on 8 to 10 shots a game. And then you get AJ. You basically get AJ Bryant taking 12 shots a game, Kuznard taking 8 to 10, Mania taking 8 to 10, Kozar taking like 4 to 7, something like that. And then Bolden will give you 6 off the bench. McCreary, I think he goes like 2 for 2 or 2 for 3 or 2 for 4. He just makes 2 field goals, and he never takes more than 4, and he always makes 2, and he always finishes with 4 points and 4 rebounds. He has a, in in SEC play alone, he has a 152.9 offensive rating, wow. <laughs> which is, which it oh, doesn't mean that he's going off for 20 a night. It just means when he's touching that ball, yeah. more often than not, it's going in the hoop or something productive is going to happen. He's a really interesting player, and I, I keep being surprised. He's, he, <laughs> I feel like he always ends up handling the ball in random places on the court. Like he, he brought it up one time and turned it over. Yeah, he, he was like running a fast time. break. Yeah, yeah, he ran a fast break. He, it was dribbling up to his chest, but he was running a fast break. <laughs> he he had the ball like outside the three point arc a couple times. I think just you know like on a dribble handoff, like running pick and roll or something like that. But he he's an interesting player. He's so athletic. He moves really well, but he's still bull in a china shop. He he's got a little Silva in him. Yeah, I, and I I see a lot of Silva in Jalen and Wildens, to where they're like they don't know what the hell they're doing half yeah. the time. Wilden's a little stiffer. McCreary yeah. seems to seems to have a little fluid. bit more of that spring and fluidity like Chris did. And I think Wilden's, and I've talked to his high school coach about it, it's he always said that with Wilden's, you had to tell him from the jump of a game, you are this you are a top offensive threat. Because Wilden's he's just not of that mindset. He's more of like, I want to do what's ever best for the team. I'm gonna pass the ball well, I'm gonna rebound, and I'm just gonna do dirty work. So Wilden's is a little bit more stiffer in that regard because he's not thinking about scoring, whereas Jalen's like let my let me get my head down to the rim, dunk, rebound, whatever I need to do. Similar to Wilden's, but a little bit more scoring mentality with mm-hmm. it. But I like both of their games a lot. I thought Wilden's got gave you so much against Wiley, and just over the course of a game, I only only played what thirteen minutes, but mm-hmm. he gave you a, a lot. Yeah, he and McCreary are becoming really reliable and, and like almost interchangeable. McCreary offers you a little bit more. I, I think probably Levesque's more solid defensively, like just seems to be in the right place a little bit more often, but McCreary maybe offers you a little more upside. We talked about the, I think it was against Texas A&M, it may have been Kentucky, a, a nice pass out of a double team to find Coatsar for an assist, had another couple dimes in this game too, and one of them I feel was like a pretty slick drop off underneath the basket, like he's yeah, just, he's just got a two good assists. feel for the game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good minutes for McCreary. Moss, not a good game. Two points, two assists, two turnovers, one of three from the field, 15 minutes you know, we gave Moss's dues when he had the nice game against, was it against Tucky or Kentucky? Kentucky, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably his best half of off. his career, yeah. He was, he was not in the Texas A&M game. Played a really nice half, played a really good game, finished with 10 points and some assists and made a three, I think, or something in the Kentucky game. I don't want to say that was the worst thing that happened to him because obviously Carolina needed that and good for TJ Moss, but, and obviously part of him playing 15 minutes had to do with the fact that Trey Hannibal is not back with the ankle injury and we'll talk about his status going forward as Carolina gets ready to welcome Vanderbilt to the Colonial Life Arena on Saturday. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Moss, that you hoped that what he did against Kentucky would have been sort of a boon for him, a confidence boost, shoot a little bit more, shoot a little better, not turn the ball over so much, but I'm worried that it's now back to the TJ Moss that Carolina fans watch for the first 16 games of the season. Yeah, I think he struggled, but I think a lot of that, especially with all these guards, we're talking a lot about what they did wrong, but Auburn's defense was really good, and their guards are really good about pressuring you, and they just, I don't think they understood how to defend that kind of pressure from guards that remind me a lot physically of what Sendarius and Dwayne were 
their senior years. The guys that have been through the wars, have been to a Final Four, guys that understand how college basketball works, and TJ Moss, who's 20 games into his college career at this mm-hmm. point. So I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Auburn just played really good defense. TJ Moss obviously struggled and turned it over and couldn't hit shots, but that was across the entire team sometimes. So I think a lot of it had to do with what Auburn was doing in terms of, and even Frank said it, they couldn't pass. That Auburn just denied and denied and denied. Because of that, South Carolina couldn't get the ball inside. They couldn't get the shots they wanted to at times, and it kind of compounded. I forgot to get to the other half of our stock up, stock down, and I'm a bad host, so I'm just like combining this into like an awkward. I like I like this like cattywampus kind of way of doing things of like roping in different stuff here. Yeah, normally I have like my rundown all in front of me, but this is a little more flying off the. Flying off the cuff, seat in my pants. Yeah, like a little, a little more organic. I'm, I'm looking at things and trying to keep everything straight in my head. Uh, the other one that I wanted to get to, again, this is like a combo stock up, stock down, slash buy or sell. So I will say, are you concerned with Mike Kotsar's scoring regression in the last three games? A little bit. Um, he hasn't shot the ball as well as he had, in, I guess, his non-con or whatever it was. But I think that's too. He's playing better competition. Uh, I think he's playing a lot better defense as Wiley is a really good defensive center. Um, his defense has been consistent. I oh, no, the defense has not dropped off one bit. Yeah. But I think it's in part just playing better competition, night in and night out. And I think, too, he doesn't need to be the guy. They're not drawing up plays for him consistently because they don't need to because Jermaine Kustard stepped up. Justin Minaya is playing his best basketball. In two years. In probably his career, yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah. He's playing his best basketball, so he's going to take some of Mike's, Mike's um, possessions. Jermaine's going to do that as well. And then you got to still try to get A.J. involved. So some of the points and possessions that were drawn up for Mike earlier in the season are going on to other guys, so there's less chances. And since he's regressed some shooting, you're not seeing the same kind of production because of it. And I think the other part of him playing better competition, especially – I mean, it's been it's been really tough for him these first five games. Cause teams are keen on him now, probably too. A little, a little bit of yeah. that, and he's having to expend a lot more energy on the defensive end of the floor. So he's probably got just a little bit less in the tank left for offense. He played 35 minutes, which I mean, he I don't know exactly what he's playing, you know, per game this year, but it's probably like 35, 36 minutes. Like he's he's already played a lot of minutes this year. He's had a couple 37. I don't think he's played 40, but he's had a couple 37, 38, 39 minute kind of games. He's averaging. 30.2 minutes a game. Oh, just 30? Yeah. That's still insane for a yeah. big man in the SEC. It that's is. That's a lot. That's so weird. I, I'm going to I'm gonna pull up his splits now because I feel like he's maybe had a lot lately. Uh, but the point is, it feels like he's just maybe a little bit less energetic on the offensive end of the floor than he was in the early part of the season. And a part of that is probably because he has less energy because he's doing it defensively. But it just seems like he's settling. Not that he's ever like a super attacker. And we did see him drive the lane and have a nice left-handed flush against Texas A&M. But at least in this Auburn game, it just felt like settling for a few more like turnaround eight foot jump hooks, which a lot of that has to do with Wiley being yeah. an elite rim protector. So Mike knows better than to challenge him for because you know Mike's got a you know ten inch vertical or whatever. So you're not you're not going to go yam on Austin Wiley, no. but you would just like to see maybe a little bit more of a of an aggressive mentality, get to the line. He's not even a great free throw shooter, but whenever I see him just settling for like a hook shot and then a hook shot and then like a little turnaround bank or whatever, I'm like. You know, that's what Mike Kotsar was for most of the first yeah, three years. A little timid. Yeah, and his being in attack mode for the first, you know, 15, 16 games of the season was why he was, you know, like 10 and 8 or 11 and 8 or whatever he was through the first part of the season. Yeah, and I think that, I don't know if he's wearing down, but 
he's got a lot of pressure on him to do a lot of different things. Be a leader, be an offensive threat, be a defensive threat. And there's only so much Mike can do. And you saw that against in the non-con where they struggled at times because they were lumping a lot of that on Mike. So you expect him to kind of... It's weird to say you expect him to regress more to the mean and the positive because <laughs> now he's, you know, he's not averaging a lot in SEC play, mm-hmm. but well, yeah, I, you I expect him to get back to that eight to six range. Right. And if he can give you that and Mania's still doing what he's doing and Kustarn's playing well, that's you get a Brian boot, back in the and fold. And you get Brian back into the fold and hopefully AJ gets back to where he was at times this year and then obviously last year. You feel good about where this offense is if you can get Mike back to that that point too and with him still playing as good of a defense as he is currently as well as he was playing offensively I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and then when I finally accepted that this is who he's going to be for his entire senior year and he's just going to be an improved offensive player that's when he went zero and then six and then six so he yeah. just he just waited for me to believe in him to to quit scoring and you know part of that is and I forgot that he only played 12 minutes against Kentucky which brings the average down a little bit so oh of one in just 12 minutes against Kentucky but three of 11 against A&M three of eight against Auburn and as I'm looking at his minutes, the, like I said, the 12 does bring it down. It was 35 against Auburn, 37 against A&M, 33 against Tennessee, 36 against Florida, 31 against Virginia, 36 against Clemson, 38 against George Washington. Um, so it hasn't been as high as I thought, and certainly the 12 brings it down a little bit. But in the last, since December 1st, he's only played fewer than 30 minutes a game uh, twice, excluding that Kentucky game. It was 28 against Stetson and 27 against UMass, but you're, you are buying this slight offensive regression? Yeah, I mean, I to a degree. Okay. I think it's just because, you know, teams are keen on a little right. bit more. And then, again, the other part is it's not like if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything because the defense is still really good. Oh, he's their best. Outside of Manai, he's probably their best all-around player. And eight rebounds. I, I've been impressed with the way he's attacked the glass, you know, even though he he's wasn't trying. attacking offensively. Yeah, there were a couple big rebounds that he got where he yeah. snatched the ball away from someone, and I was like, not really, Mike. And that's what you need from him. Right. You don't need him to go out there and score 25 like he did against Mississippi mm-hmm. State. And five assists year. again. Yeah, you need that from him. And because you have scores on this team that have the capability to do it. Now, consistency is obviously a problem, but you have guys that can score. You don't. You needed Mike to be to go for 17 a night yeah. in the non-com, but you don't need that right now. Um, so you need him to be a distributor. You need him to rebound. You need him to play great defense. And as far as I'm concerned... He's still on triple-double watch for me, or at least 5-5-5 five, five, five watch. I say at least. That's probably harder than triple-double Yeah, because Mike Kotzer's not going to get five blocks in a game. He could he could totally get, okay, 5-5-5 five, five watch. Do we count it if he has at least five points, at least five rebounds, at least five assists, at least five steals, and he fouls out? Oh. That's a, that's a five. I don't know. I mean, that's not normally the five. Normally it's blocks. I don't think he count turnovers either, but he doesn't turn, turn it over a ton. I but like I could that. totally see him having like a five, six, six, five steal and foul out kind of game. Because like he's that. had three or four steals in a game this year. Yeah, he's like like fifth or sixth in the SEC in yeah. steals this he's year. He's got great hands is, on this ball denials. He, like that and his footwork is just so beautiful sometimes defensively. And hell, he can guard, you know, two through five, which is amazing. Like just the fact that he, I have a slight man crush Sometimes on Mike Coates. I can tell. Because, yeah, because he's so good. And, well, and as good of a senior year as he's having, it's hard not to. I, yeah. Did you see the the girl who, I think it was his girlfriend, put my tweet on a shirt no. from him? So, like, it says, like, Mike Goats are, and she, like, like put it on a shirt. That's awesome. It's one of my, like, ultimate, like, professional achievements. I can yeah. retire now. Big time I had goals. to humble brag at that point, but, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. I saw, I guess it was his girlfriend. I saw him at the grocery store with somebody, and that's the only time I've ever 
I don't know if that was the same person. And she wasn't wearing the shirt then, so I don't know if. No, you would know. (laughs) But it was awesome. I get the tweet notification. I'm like, this can't be real. And I can't wait to hopefully see it at a game. You need one. If you're, I need, yeah, I know, right? So if you're listening, please wear it to a game. Please introduce yourself. I would love to get a picture. Yeah. Because that is phenomenal. That is my profession. That is the highlight of my profession. A picture and then you need uh, a t-shirt. How many of those do you think they can sell to Colonial Life Arena? I mean, that'd probably be illegal because like vendor things, but. Well, like John Rothstein does it. Like he'll sell yeah. uh, his like weird Twitter slogans. Let's let's get a Mike Goatsart T-shirt. Like Mike let's get Goatsar. let's get a company in in Columbia to print Mike Goatsart T-shirts. They'll print them once he gets either that triple double or the five by five. And uh, I don't know. I'm inclined to count five steals and then fouling out. But if y'all have any huge problem with it, you know, let us know in the comments. Or Angry tweet like Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at Wes Mitchell GC and at GC uh, Chris Clark. Anything else to say about the Auburn game? No, I think we covered it. I'm, I'm looking at it, and it's again, it's there's not a lot to say. Auburn's just better, but there's Auburn. a lot to say. Yeah, Auburn's better. Devin Cambridge went off. Probably never going to do that again. And South Carolina's guards need to defend better and shoot better. Andrew Nimhart hadn't scored as many as he scored against Carolina since, right? Let's look. This is. Great I'm wondering one. how many one-off performances South Carolina is going to be on the other side of. Probably a lot. And it was an all-around outstanding performance from Nimhart, but and, and you know he's going to drop dimes and run the offense like he does, but he just doesn't normally score that much. So it took him three He scored 21 against South Carolina. It took him three games to get to over 21 points again. Scored, he went 8, 10, 16, and 15. 8, 10, 16, Okay, and actually, as I'm looking at it, the game before, oh, that was a double overtime game against Alabama, so you kind of throw that one out. He yeah. scored 25, and then before that, his season high was just 16, yeah. which he scored against St. Joe's. St. Joe's. There you go. Who's... So. Four and fifteen right now. All right, we're down the rabbit hole of me just like clicking on stuff on ESPN. I do that every so. now and again, like baseball reference pages. My roommate yeah. and I got into it. I ended up on Kosuke Fukudome's like baseball reference oh, page the other day. That's a good one. I miss Kosuke. Wait, how did you get there? I'm a Cubs fan, and I, there's a soft spot in my heart for Kosuke Fukudome. So you just went to him directly? Well, no, we were talking about like players that we just have this weird like relationship with. Okay, it was on the Hall of Fame night. So yeah, we were, like, yeah, going through that. Is he your favorite player? Of all time? Yeah. No. Derek Lee. Player? Derek Lee. Oh, okay. Love Derek right. Lee. Chris, Do you uh, want to... So, I'm going to throw you off the scent here. Okay. I grew up around here, and I grew up a Braves fan. I used okay. to love Javi Lopez. Apparently, when I was little, that was like one of my first... One of the first things that I said mm-hmm. was Javi Lopez. I used to just jump up and down on the couch and like scream Javi Lopez. So, I love Javi. Who is my favorite baseball player of all time? And I only told you that as a red herring. It's not Del Murphy. No. Because I feel like... I have a lot of opinions about Dale Murphy. So mm. is it a Braves player? No. I only told you that to distract yeah. you. This is this is a random one, but he is an all-time great baseball player, and I think he could be... He's three years away from being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Maybe four. Oh, shoot, I can't remember. Is it Gary Sheffield? No. Great guess, oh. though. I do love Gary Sheffield. Who doesn't love Gary Sheffield? Okay, I'm just going to tell you, because there's no way you're going to guess it. My favorite baseball player ever. The, what made me think of it is... Um, we were talking about Fukudome, and he is Japanese, as is Ichiro. Oh. He's my favorite. I when I played MLB baseball, I don't know, one of the ones for N64, 2001 or 2002, I was always the Mariners. I Ichiro was so much fun. Yeah. I loved him. Because he had like a billion speed. Yeah. He's great. He's my favorite. I don't know why. Well, I mean, I do know why, because I like playing with the Mariners, but there were a lot of good leadoff hitters in that game. I don't know why I gravitated to Ichiro, but I just thought he was the coolest. That's why, like, growing up, like, Mike Vick and Dante Culpepper were two of my favorites because I used to play, like, Madden, like, 
forget what year it was, maybe 07 or whatever on like the GameCube, like, like my GameCube. But Mike Vick was unstoppable. And Dante Culpepper had the arm to end all arms. So you could just run like four verts and just bomb yeah. it on people. And like Dante Culpepper could throw it 60 yards downfield. It was awesome. Yeah. Oh, awesome. man. It's so funny how uh, how much playing video games has colored our generation's opinions about different athletes. Yes. I'm looking now because didn't Ichiro have like 12 straight seasons with 200 hits or something stupid? See, now like we're that? on a baseball reference. Like, I know. Yeah, <laughs> like, see, now yeah, we're down the, yeah, down okay. the rabbit hole. Wait, how did we do this? We were trying to get off of this. Stuff, yeah. And then we did exactly <laughs> the same thing, but for baseball players instead. Yeah. Okay. South Carolina lost to Auburn. They're two and three in conference play. Their next five games Vanderbilt at home, at Arkansas, home against Missouri, at Ole Miss, home against Texas AM again. Four very winnable games. Have to go four and one. Yes. Five and oh is not ridiculous. No, Arkansas is a very soft 14-4. and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's probably your toughest game because that Bud Walton's very hard to play in. But three of these five teams have losing, losing records. No, sub five. Two of these teams have losing records. One, Missouri is, I think, 500. Mm-hmm. And Texas A&M is one game above 500. And you beat them by 14 on the road. Or we can do it like this. South Carolina's next five conference opponents have a combined eight conference wins. Yeah, like that's... Three for Arkansas. Two for Texas A and M, and one. Oh, that was including Auburn. I did that stat earlier this week. So Carolina's uh, next six opponents before the Auburn game had eight conference wins. So now you take away three of those, and you say their next five conference opponents have five conference wins. Yeah. Three for Arkansas, two for A and M, none for Ole Miss, none for Vanderbilt, one for Missouri. Oh, yeah, one for Missouri. One, okay, six. This, yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't update that stat it's in my brain very, after Monday. It's very like. This is a, as good of a stretch as you could possibly ask for coming off what you what you just came off, uh, where you play, probably thinking of it, Florida and Kentucky and Definitely Auburn. Definitely tournament teams. Three, three surefire Auburn tournament teams. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is a French team. Probably an IT is what I'm expecting with mm-hmm. them if they go to a postseason. And then and Texas, Texas A&M, A&M not good. on the road, but you're down <laughs> three players. Right. So that was a tough stretch. It's not going to get a whole lot tougher than that for you. No. I mean, the, the last eight games that you play, Georgia twice, which only scares you because you Anthony never know Edwards. when Anthony Edwards is just going to go off for That 29. feels like a Christian Brown game, though, it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. like, from LR. Oh, that, oh yeah. 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 So yeah. you have that. You have LSU. Mississippi State's playing pretty well, and you have two with them. Yeah. What are they? Are they three and three? Something like that. Three and three, four They and are three. three and three, but... I mean, they just beat Arkansas right? by seven, Wallop, Georgia, Wallop, Missouri. Um, they're playing pretty well right now. So that's a tough stretch, but this is this is where you make your hay. Four and one, and you stay on pace. You have a chance to gain some you're ground. a front runner. You're, you're gaining ground at that point. It starts with Vanderbilt, um, and Carolina's good enough to beat Vanderbilt, like with the roster constituted against Auburn. Vanderbilt's a mess. They're uh, obviously they've lost one, two, three, four, five, six straight games. They've lost six straight games. And then in conference play, they actually so they obviously losing Aaron Neesmith is a huge, huge loss. Absolutely. I mean he was he was unbelievable. So I was SEC looking, player of the year candidate Aaron, for sure. Aaron Neesmith. I mean he was averaging twenty three and five. He was shooting fifty two percent from the field and like fifty percent from three. He was unbelievable. And I was looking at the stats last year he was like eleven points a game. Like shot pretty well, but the he leap like, that he that he took this—I mean, he was solid. Yeah, as he a was freshman, like a but. considered like a top, right there with AJ Lawson in terms mm-hmm. of NBA yeah. prospect. And then the leap that he made to all of a sudden be one of the yeah. best guys in the SEC—he got hurt 
in that in that conference opening game against uh, Texas A&M, they lost that game by just four. And then since then, they've lost by like 20 and 22 and 15 and 14. Like it's just, it's gone off the rails. And you feel bad yeah. for them because there's not much you can do when you lose a guy that, like that. That roster is so depleted after, I mean, you brought in Neesmith and Simi Shidu and Darius Garland last year. You had three NBA prospects on the team and now all three, all three are out. Are yeah, yeah, so it's full. But you know who they do have? Scotty Pippen. They got freaking Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen. Yeah, and he's all right. He's like he's like Jerry eleven Stack, and five. Jerry Stackhouse and Scotty Pippen. I know kid. that's like, fantastic. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's like if you're looking for some reason to get excited to watch Vanderbilt basketball. Um, and again, like I, I haven't watched a ton of Vanderbilt this year because they haven't been worth watching. But um, you know, Pippen's fine. Like eleven and five yeah. or four and a half or whatever it is. But There's plenty is, of points to go around the Neesmith house. I mean, <laughs> yeah, plenty of points. Twenty three points. A game. I I just can't believe how efficiently he was scoring. Yeah, I mean, and through fourteen games, it yeah. was it was absolutely spectacular for him. Uh, if you're a Carolina fan, obviously great news. They, it's not that, like they were playing that well with him anyway. Although they did have Auburn a little bit on the ropes there early in SEC play, but for Carolina, they should be able to win that Vanderbilt game as presently constituted. Yes. But, without Keyshawn Bryant, without Trey Hannibal. Exactly. Yeah. But like they, they, if they do what they did against Auburn, they'll beat Vanderbilt by probably 10 or 11 or 12 yeah. or 15 or something. But Keyshawn Bryant has been medically cleared to play, and now it's just a matter of how he looks yeah. and feels in practice. Do you have any more information on that or any inclination one way or the other? Frank seemed somewhat optimistic. They practiced today, this afternoon. He'll know more tonight and tomorrow how Keyshawn responds. We haven't been told if he's concussion protocol or not. Mm. I, the problem with Keyshawn is he has those migraine situations, so any blows to the head kind of exacerbate that. Um, we'll know more kind of moving into. We have availability with some players tomorrow, so you'll kind of get a sense of what that's like then. So check your Twitter feed at Colin Taylor with a Y. Yes, please. Um, give me a follow and don't angry tweet me. <laughs> um, and make shirts out of his tweets. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I... We'll we'll know more. Um, they're probably still evaluating, and with head injuries, it's not immediate. You can practice, or he he wasn't fully cleared to do a whole lot, just some on court stuff. Um, and they'll kind of see how he goes forward tonight and then tomorrow, and kind of see through probably shoot around. Um, I think it'll be more of a game time decision. Than anything else? Trey Hannibal, if we say that Keyshawn Bryant is like questionable to probable it sounds like Trey Hannibal is questionable to doubtful doubtful yeah mm. um how long is this going to be because I I get a bad feeling reading between the lines and what Frank has to say that this could be something that sidelines him for a couple weeks yeah I mean I think that I think the worst of it's over um you sprain your ankle and it swells up like crazy and then once the swelling goes down goes down then it's just kind of about letting the muscles get a little bit stronger regain some you know strength there and start to play on it. Do I anticipate him playing against Vanderbilt? No, but I think there's an outside shot against Arkansas to play, and then you're probably looking at maybe more towards Missouri is when I would anticipate him back, but if he comes out there and says, my ankle feels great, I mean, let him go. This is a game, though, that you can afford to give him an extra couple days to rest that ankle if it's not 100%. Yeah. Vanderbilt's just not, they're not good. Yeah, I, I feel like we've done a good job with our breakdowns of upcoming teams. I don't have much to say about Vanderbilt. Yeah, Carolina should win this. Uh, and it's just so hard because like you look at all their team stats and they're not that good anyway. And then when you factor Naismith yeah. out of it. In five conference games, they're last in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency, 
last in effective field goal percentage, 12th in effective field goal percentage against, 11th in turnover rate. Um, they're actually pretty good at turning the ball or forcing turnovers. 13th in offensive rebound rate, 11th in offensive rebound rate against, uh, last in three-point percentage, 11th in two-point percentage, 9th in free throw percentage, um, 13th in two-point percentage against. They're pretty good at defend, defending the three. Don't block shots. Get a lot of shots blocked. They just don't turn the ball over. It's about as bottom feeder as you can get. And it's just where that roster is right now. Worth pointing out. <laughs> worth pointing out. Vanderbilt would probably beat Stetson. Yes. They are better than Stetson. They are better than Stetson. And they have Jerry Stackhouse on the sideline, which is cool. Yeah. So go to the game and see Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. Like, Scotty Pippen's kid. Yeah. Like that's. And it's prime time. It was funny. I When I was editing the podcast with what's today oh my gosh it's thursday when i was editing our tuesday podcast I, I realized when i was looking at the game time of the auburn game i got all excited i was like "Ooh, that's a prime time game because on tuesday i was thinking it felt like friday monday was a long day felt like friday and i was like "Ooh, prime time and i listened back to it i was like of course it's prime time they're not gonna play any other time freaking wednesday, on wednesday yeah. <laughs> moron so I, I got that one wrong but vanderbilt is actually a prime time game i hate it's, APM uh, tips on saturday do you well, I'm, old, like, I'm like curmudgeoning and an old sports journalist, so I'm ah, gonna like. Okay, so you're you're thinking like deadline, not like. I'm just thinking I'm like. Tip means I don't get like. To get a I want a Saturday, Saturday night. night. Yeah, I want a Saturday night in Columbia. Yeah. Um I love like a good noon. I've I've kind of enjoyed the one o'clock tips. Yeah, like give but me I missed a one. the other one last week because I was playing tennis, so maybe I won't miss it this yeah, week. Yeah, like the one o'clocks are great because you show up to the arena. Will call opens for media an hour and a half before, so you show up at eleven thirty. Do you eat at the games? Yeah, you can. Do you? I mean, sometimes. They, don't they provide food? I'm trying to watch my figure, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got a wedding body to yeah, prepare yeah, for. Wedding body, yeah. that's right. It's yeah. been three hours and I haven't mentioned my wedding, so I'm legally in contraction. Yeah. Wait, when is your wedding? Bye week football this year. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So you got, you got October 17th. You got some time. We are registered at Amazon, Target. Excellent. And, Dude, yeah. why not? Yeah. Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Um, no, but yeah, they feed us. You can go get concession food. So it's like a cheeseburger or. Um, do you eat the media food or the concession food? It's the media food is the concession food. So they give us like a voucher oh, okay. and you can get um, a cheeseburger basket or a chicken tender basket. And that's for football and baseball. And mm. there's only so many chicken tenders. And well, so football, many. they have the spread. Yeah. Football, the they have the box, spread, which is nice. Yeah. I like, for the most part, I like that. Yeah. There's some, the only part that's weird for football and I know we're digressing from Vanderbilt, but you don't really want to talk. About no, not football, really. Um, is... Sometimes it's weird. So, like, for noon kicks, they'll have – it's like you, you eat about two hours before the game. So, noon, mm. you're eating about 10 a.m. Sometimes they'll feed you lunch food. So, you'll get, like, brisket mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. Mm. And, like, I love a good brisket. Don't get me wrong. I was, I'm just not in the mental state to eat yeah. brisket then. And I, it's good brisket. It's very good. But it's just, like the, – the weirdest one was Outback Bowl. Is that t- that kicked off at like eleven or something like that, or noon, and they feed you Outback Steakhouse at the Outback Bowl, uh-huh. so it's like nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning, and you're scarfing down like steak bites. Mm, yeah, and it's not even like steak and eggs. No, it's no. just like steak and like salad. They do give you the bread though, mm-hmm. the bread from Outback, like in roll form. Mm, yeah. We're making people jealous, and, and the reason that I ask because you're like, wait, you're in the media too. Why don't you? I I've gotten credential to basketball i have a credential i just don't often use it because i usually sit with my roommate like in the actual bowl and then the times that i have sat in the media section of basketball games i have not eaten um because i'm also trying to watch my figure so 
I usually just don't. So I just I was just curious, just had to know. Yeah. Um I guess you can't drink either. Which no. does that make it were you like rooting for them to not approve alcohol sales at Carolina sporting events because it's gonna make you jealous? No, it was there was like a guy in the media section at the women's game on what was that Monday? Mm-hmm. I went um with a beer in like the media section. And that's that's just like generally taboo, right? Yeah, oh yeah, you can't do like, that. Like she wouldn't say anything to you. No, she wouldn't. Because would Wes or Chris fuss at you? I don't know. Like it's weird. You're, Chris is definitely like I feel like he's the grandfather. Yeah. Um, Chris, don't listen to this. I like. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I don't no, have to worry about it's, Wes. It's Chris just listening. weird. Wes is the fun uncle. Chris is like the curmudgeonly grandfather of Gamecock yeah. Central. He's the he's like the dad of everything. Where it's <laughs> like, yeah, where he get, like gets hurt all the time. I play soccer with him. And oh, you play? You play? Okay, yeah. Cool. Every night. I, I didn't know. Chris, that. if you're listening to this, I probably won't be there tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, okay. Sleep. Uh, I, I but also, I also feel bad because I don't mean to say that Chris is a curmudgeonly he's, grandfather. He's a really he's good just, soccer player. He's so that's really what I've, really good. I have surmised as much, but he told me he didn't play growing up, which surprises. Me. Yeah, he's really he's just he's so damn quick. Mm. And there Low are times gravity. Yeah, oh, wow, that's that's cold blooded. <laughs> this that's, is so that's, bad. That's I cold blooded. I really love I feel, Chris. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I'm uh, being mean. Yeah, I've played with him, and he's there are times where he beats me off the bounce, and I'm like huffing and puffing to try to keep up Dang. with the man. And I'm 24 going on 25. He's 33, so. I think. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's one of those where he's outrunning me. Now, granted, he weighs a lot less than me, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Whew. So Good job, Chris. Wait, why are we talking about Chris and Wes? Oh, they, oh, yeah, oh about alcohol. Beer. Yeah, um, no, it's just, that's it would be very taboo. What, okay, so what did you think when you saw the media member with the beer in the... I'm like, what the hell are you doing, bud? Like, <laughs> so, so there's a little judgment there. Yeah, there's a little bit of judgment because I'd never seen it before. So I was like, yeah. I but first as long thought, as you're not getting trashed, it's no, fine. Right? Like, you and know? I thought it was a fan at first that just didn't know <laughs> where he was sitting, section. and I'm like, because like there are people that walk over there to say, hey, like if they know someone in the media or whatever, mm-hmm. they come over and say, hey, and I just thought he was like a fan that wandered over there and no one said anything to him, <laughs> but he like sat there and like watched the entire game. That's awesome. Yeah. So the odds that you do that at some point are zero. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. There, well, there are teams that like feed you beer after games. I think LSU feeds the media beer after games. Oh, that's such an LSU thing. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's um, that's pretty great. Okay, so do we have anything we want to say about Vanderbilt? I mean, Carolina can totally lose this game. Yes. If they turn the ball over. If they play like they didn't get Stetson. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, we, did, we didn't do a podcast after Stetson, did we? Have we started doing the pods at that point? I don't think so. We might have. I just don't know if, but that was like right around the yeah, New Year's. Yeah, I, so. I mean, I really can't remember because I'm trying to think about how that game went and I really don't know. Like I know how the game went. I watched yeah, it was it, bad. But Whatever it was, it was bad. So, but uh, how, South Carolina, Carolina had to turn. That? You got to get good point guard play. I think they've kind of figured out. They were still kind of in flux of trying to figure out their guard play, and you figure that out a little bit. So, I don't think the poor performance is going to necessarily replicate itself against Vanderbilt. Now, do I would it, would it shock me if this was like a five point game at, with four minutes to go? No, but. Carolina plays a lot of close games yeah. on both sides. Yeah. Now, this is, uh, I guess, also worth pointing out, this is the first time Carolina's been favored in conference play. Yes. And they have, like, an 80% chance to win, according to BPI. Yeah, I mean, this is... Ken Palm gives them a 79% chance to win and predicts them to win by 9. So, that's kind of what I'd expect. I mean, if they win by 9, 10, 11... They're, they're more... If I had to pick a more talented team, it'd be South Carolina. That's their more... Unquestioned. Yeah, they're more talented... Saving Lee's good, but he's kind of their entire offense. And right, yeah. five assists again. I think he's fifteen and five, something like yeah. that. Yeah, sixteen and, like, and five. He's been used in almost thirty percent of their possessions, and it's just they use they 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 ride or die pretty much with their starting five. Um, so 
Vanderbilt's last conference win probably would have been what, like January 2018? Because they haven't won this year. They went winless last year. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Their last conference win, March 3rd against Ole Miss. March 2018? Yes. So if you're Carolina, keep that streak going. Yeah, you don't want to. Oh, but doesn't that just. Yeah. And I, I can't this even is, say it. This is very much a trap game to where you're coming off a very emotional game against Auburn. And you have at Arkansas. And you have Arkansas right next. It's late. If they don't come to play, Vanderbilt could very much beat them. But I think that they're going to avoid that knowing how much this means to their just overall conference champion. Because if they lose this game, I mean. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, on the one hand, if you lose this game, it that's it derails much a, it. Yeah, it that, derails a lot of it. That's the worst loss that you could possibly get in conference, in conference play, play, especially because it's at home. But then it also wouldn't surprise me if Carolina still salvaged four and one in that stretch and beat Arkansas on the road, beat Ole Miss, beat Missouri, yeah, and beat Texas A and M. Not in that order because I flipped the middle two. But it's hard to know. It, you would like to think this team is stabilizing, and it feels like it is. Manaya's a little more stable. Coatsar's yeah. he's regressed a little bit, but you still feel pretty good that you're going to get eight and seven and some assists and a lot of really good defense out of him. Kuznard looks consistent. Um, you know, Bolden didn't have a good game on. Wednesday, but he's capable. But he's capable. If we're going to compare him to Devin Cambridge, he is capable. He he can go off. He can go off for twenty two against Virginia or nineteen against Texas A and M. Ten on four of twelve shooting. You just replicate everything about this exact performance that Carolina had against Auburn, and they win this game against Vanderbilt comfortably. Yeah, I think so. What's what about if they replicate their performance against Tennessee? Still a win because that's their worst performance in SEC play. Still a win, not as comfortable. That's when you're. Only up by five with and, four yeah. to go. But, yeah, like, it, Vanderbilt's just so bad offensively. And they they just can't shoot. I mean, when you're – they're shooting 30, 21% in SEC play against, I mean, 45 – 40, 21% from three, 45% from two, 72% from the line. They have an effective field goal percentage in the, in the 30s, 39.4. I mean, that's just, you don't win doing that. Now I say that and Vanderbilt's going to go off and shoot 60% and score, you know, 90 points. In the same way that Jair Bolden can be Devin yeah. Cambridge, they might have their own Devin Cambridge yeah. or Cambridges. So it's just one of those things where if you're caught napping, Vanderbilt can sneak up on you. But if you replicate pretty much any performance in SEC play, you're going to win this game. I got a shout out Nathan, who hit both of us on Twitter during the game last night, made a halftime adjustment with a hashtag reverse jinx. He threw on the Auburn shirt. Yes. I didn't ask Nathan why he has an Auburn shirt, and it didn't exactly work, but I love the spirit of it. Yes. And, and I, thank I you think, for listening. And I think I tweeted back to him. I was like, listen, I, you probably have an Auburn shirt for a reason. Family member goes there. You went there, whatever it was. But I do like to picture like him having like 13 other shirts yeah, in his closet. Just in case. And he's like, oh, hell, like this, it's time. Like, put my Texas AM shirt on. Like, it's time to go. They gold. also have tags. He just, yeah. you know, whenever he needs to break one out. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I like that thought. Yeah. But thank you for, for doing that, Nathan. It was a valiant effort. And, you know, once Carolina cut it to, what was it, 59 58 there in the second they half? Like, was, yeah, they were talking about one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a chance. And I would like to think it was because of that your That was energy. the shirt. Yeah, that was the shirt, and only if more people had done that, Carolina would have been able to get over the yeah, hump. Yeah, so this isn't on South Carolina. This is on the fans. Yeah, this yeah. Is, let's just blame the fans at this point. Everyone needs to follow Nathan's That's a advice. Joke. Please don't angry. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you for doing that, Nathan, and thanks for listening, and thank you all for listening. And if you like what we do and you want to hear more of it, we want to hear your feedback. I already mentioned at Colin Taylor with a Y, at Pearson Fowler on Twitter. If you just want to 
interact with us during the game. Give us any feedback, anything you like or hate about the podcast. We want to hear about it. You can also leave it in a review when you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and everything else on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. And, of course, be sure to check out GamecockCentral.com for everything that we don't get a chance to talk about because we talk for you know, usually about an hour, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes on. You write about 45 things a day, and Carolina fans should read them to stay up to date. So help pay my bills. Help pay Colin's bills. That'll do it for us for this week. Uh, Y'all go to the Vanderbilt game, say hey to Jerry Stackhouse, say hey to Scotty Pippen's kid, and Colin and I will be back on Tuesday to break down the Vanderbilt game and look ahead to Arkansas. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you then. You're closer to matching my eye level when you're sitting down and I'm standing up. (laughs) Um, All right, here we go.